the thrill of the track, the speed, the roar of the engine. IndyCar racing is exciting and a sight to behold. However, whoever green flagged this one should return to the pits. It may take a few left turns, but we're going to suffer through these days of blunder to prove to you that driven is not that bad. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this edition of It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A, grades in B, movies. And it's time to go back to the world of sportsing. Sports go sports, because we are talking 2001's Driven. And joining me again, our resident sports movie guru, Simon Bennett is back on the show. Simon, welcome. How you doing, man? Sports, yeah! Sports go sports. We, we sportsing here. Representing the, uh, <laughs> representing the City News uh, 680 Sports Department here. Um, right? Yeah, this movie wasn't very good. <laughs> so, I want everyone to know this was his idea, watching this. Well, basically it was one of the things where like, alright, there's a sports movie that we can, that we can do oh driven that qualifies and then i think i texted you after seeing this going i'm sorry i'm so (laughs) sorry so sorry uh but yeah this is not in typical sylvester stallone like 2000 like early 2000 this is not peak stallone era like this is this is like the middling stallone era well and you work with a director in this movie that combined with him for cliffhanger Right, exactly. So you think on paper it would be good, and I think some of the direction of this movie might be the part that isn't that bad about this. Mm-hmm. Randy Hanlon is uh, noted in IMDb, the most successful Finnish film director in the history of Hollywood. Based on a lot of, he did Die Hard 2, did Cliffhanger with Sly, did Nightmare on Elm Street 4, and he had just rebounded with some decent movies before Driven, Cutthroat Island, Long Kiss Goodnight. Uh, okay, are you saying Cutthroat Island is a rebound film? Because that's... Uh... That's what Wikipedia said. <laughs> Maybe not. Cutthroat Island qualifies very well for this podcast. I will say that. Plus, don't forget, there is 12 rounds with John Cena on his filmography as a director. So, yeah, yeah. But we are talking about Driven. So before we get into this, before we before we we green flag this one, it's time to take this Stallone film and trailerize it. Real-life drama of Formula One's drive to survive. Too bad, because this open-wheel racing movie should close the book on your hopes of having a good time. Enter Jimmy Blind, a rookie racer fighting with a seasoned pro for the racing championship. But when he has one little slip-up, they bring in Joe Tanto. A race car whisperer as eloquent as Mater to make things better or worse. It's not really clear. Sylvester Stallone stars in Driven, a movie with so many unlikable characters and one giant red flag. Travel around the world to places that look a lot like Toronto as these drivers have so many accidents you'd think it was NASCAR. Driven! <laughs> Simon is dying over here. <laughs> 
oh, I think I killed him. <laughs> you nailed it on the unlikable characters and the F1 connection because this was supposed to be initially. Like, I guess he got the inspiration because Stallone was an F1 fan. Mm-hmm. And he was shooting somewhere where there was a race and he got to know the circuit. But then F1, and even now with the Netflix show you reference, which mm-hmm. has actually led to a big explosion in F1's popularity now. Oh, absolutely. It's incredible. Have you, have you seen Drive oh, to Survive? I, I love Drive to Survive. It's so good. It is one of the best shows on Netflix. Also funny, we're talking about this. It is August 5th as we record this, and they just announced Daniel Ricardo's not getting renewed by McLaren. What? Yeah, he's getting bumped by Oscar Pisteri, I think. Oh, don't worry. I'm sh- but he was like, the when Netflix, when the show started, season one didn't do much with Verstappen or Hamilton. It was all like the mid-level guys. Mm-hmm. They see Gunter's guys. And, uh, and and Daniel, and he was like he was like the the star of the first season, and then they got the then they get, get got ratings in Hamilton and Verstappen and guys yeah. like that, and Christian Horner took over. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'd like to go. I'd like to go on a, for a beer with Gunter, mm. that guy. You, I thought you were going to say you you wanted to go for uh, for a beer with Christian Horner because he might bring ginger spice with him. <laughs> uh, by the way. For those who watch the show, the Red Bull facilities in Milton Keynes, that's my hometown. Really? Yeah, man. Oh, wow. And it was a whole thing. If you are you up to date, there was a whole section in the new season this year where they made their drivers, Red Bull made their drivers live in Milton Keynes and they complained it was boring. Milton Keynes has expanded. Like, I moved from England in the late 80s. So Milton Keynes then compared to Milton Keynes now. If anyone's heard of Milton Keynes, they had that mall, which is actually the longest mall. In Europe, I think. Wow! By, like it's just one big long line. It just goes from one line to the other. It just it, it just was a continuous walk. That's all they had, and they had the Point Movie Theater, which was the first multiplex I ever went to. You know what the movie was? And we could do something on this movie maybe one day. Santa Claus the movie. Oh God! Remember that? I do. Nineteen eighty five. John Lithgow is the bad guy in it. It's one of his first big movies. Okay, but John Lithgow is the bad guy. I'm just, I'm literally going to be thinking about Dexter. Wow, well, the entire time. So, but also at the point, I was in, I was nine years old. I was in uh, uh, Cub Scouts in England. We go to Milton Keynes, the point, and it was the Inner Space premiere. Oh, Remember I love Inner that Space? movie. Yeah, with Martin Short getting injected. It was, hang on, it was, yeah, it was Dennis Quaid injected into Martin Short. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yes, they, they shrunk him, and he was in Martin Short's body. Okay, Meg Ryan was in it too. And so we were all standing in procession with, in our uniforms. And some guy from EastEnders, the soap opera in the UK, EastEnders, straightened my hat and smiled at me and walked away. Everyone else in the group thought it was Eddie Murphy. It totally what? Was, it, yeah, it totally wasn't, but I went with that. Eddie Murphy, Eddie Murphy would have had no reason to be at this thing. I was about to say, did he want to party all the time, though? That is the question. <laughs> All right, so let's get we through. We went into a very big tangent there. Mil- <laughs> Milton Keynes, F1, but yeah. Milton so- Keynes, F1, and Eddie Murphy and EastEnders. That is the most random thing I think we've had on this show, <laughs> and I'm kind of here for it. Okay, so to give you a rundown of, of Driven, it's SARS. Sylvester Stallone, Kip Pardue, who you might remember from Remember the Titans, uh, or Undiscovered, the movie with Ashley Simpson in it, and Marvel's The Runaways. Uh, Till Schweiger, who was in Inglorious Bastards and Atomic Blonde, Burt Reynolds, Estella Warren, and Gina Gershon. However, there is actually an almost starring in this one. Almost starring in the role of Carl Henry that was played by Burt Reynolds. It was almost Rex Lynn, who was also in Cliffhanger. Um, but that was nixed because they didn't want to basically have people go to Driven and say, oh, hey, Cliffhanger 2 on wheels. 
Um, and Rex Lynn from Dodgeball. I don't know if he was in Dodgeball. No, I'm gonna mix up. But, but he he was in uh, Cliffhanger, and in the role of Jimmy Bly, uh, originally considered for the role was Leonardo DiCaprio. And I can kind of see it. When you take a look at Kip Pardue, I'm like, yeah, okay, kind of makes sense. Um, but Leo did not get this part or that they didn't offer it to him, but he was considered for the role. Uh, the screenplay was by Sylvester Stallone. Apparently the tre- the original screenplay for this was like well over 200 pages. Like it's insane. He said he wrote 25 drafts of this. I wouldn't be surprised. And according to Rennie Harlan, who was the director of this, the first cut of this film was a Zack Snyder-esque four hours long, and then they chopped it to crap. Apparently, uh, the, once this film hit the, uh, hit the theaters, according to Rennie Harlan, it closed a lot of doors in Hollywood for him. Like, he was on a rise, and then this came out, and then he was on a fall. Like, no, just no. Uh, we mentioned IndyCar in the beginning. Uh, this film was originally uh, intended to be a Formula One film, but then negotiations with Formula One and Bernie Eccleston kind of went south at that point. So it's not actually IndyCar, though. It's kart racing, champ car, for those who remember that circuit. And some of the racers, Fittipaldi, uh, uh, Paul Tracy, um, uh, Alex Tagliani. Like there's, there's a lot of very popular names who are, or at least familiar names that are in the cars driving for this. The entire Champ Car roster that year is credited yeah. in IMDb, except Team Penske. Wow. For some reason, Team Penske was in it and shot, but they were cut out or not in it. I wonder, I, I mean, who knows, right? I mean, Chip Ganassi himself is actually in He's this. In it, like, yeah. Very randomly as like the guy on the radio. But yeah. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. Normally, when a Stallone film comes out, you think, oh, okay, this is going to be good. But then there's a stretch of time when the Stallone film comes out and goes, okay, straight to the Razzies. This is one of those times. It was nominated. Although, that being said, um, he needs to send a big thank you to Tom Green for this. The film was nominated for Worst Picture. It lost to Freddy Got Fingered. Oh, I forgot about that. Burt Reynolds and Stallone were nominated for Worst Supporting Actor. Both of them were. That was won by Charlton Heston uh, for Cats and Dogs, his cameo in Planet of the Apes, and the movie Town and Country. Estella Warren won the Razzie for Worst Supporting Actress, but it was, she was nominated for this and Planet of the Apes. Uh, Burt Reynolds and Sylvester Stallone were nominated for Worst Screen Couple. Uh, that went to Tom Green and Any Animal He Abuses in Freddy Got Fingered. Uh, Rennie Harlan was nominated for Worst Director. That was won by Tom Green. And this film was nominated for Worst Screenplay, also won by Freddy Got Fingered. Also, at the 2001 Stinkers, uh, Rennie Harlan was nominated for Worst Director, won by Tom Green. Stallone won for Worst Actor, or uh, nominated for Worst Actor, won by Tom Green. Estella Warren was nominated again for Worst Supporting Actress. She did not win that one, though. This one was won by Tori Spelling, who was in Scary Movie 2. So that just goes to tell you um, how well, quote unquote, this film did. Uh, And that probably uh, translated straight to the box office. This film, according to IMDb, had a budget of $94 million. Domestically, it only grossed 32 and worldwide 54. When it debuted on the weekend of April 27th in 2001, it debuted actually at number one. Um, but, but let's go through 
who else was in the top 10. There were... It's going to be Freddie Got Fingered, aren't you? Uh, it was actually at number 10. <laughs> it was at number 10 in only its second week. There were a couple of other debuts. Uh, Town and Country uh, debuted at number 7. Uh, the Forsaken, which was some vampire flick, uh, debuted at number eight. And at number 11 debuting that week was One Night at McCool's, which starred Liv Tyler and Matt Damon. This was Sylvester Stallone's first number one debuting film since Copland. And he actually got a lot of acclaim for Copland. Um, this one... And not so much. No. No and no. Um, and that also translates into the critic score. Which was 14% in Rotten Tomatoes, audience 33%. And over on Metacritic, it has a 29 Metascore. This, this did not go well for Stallone. I'm just wondering, like, do you think that, like, but surprisingly, considering this is supposed to be like a worldwide kind of racing film, why it didn't do better, at least worldwide? I don't know, because as bad as this movie is, on paper you look at the premise, and as bad as it was, it should have done better. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, there's, you know, maybe, I don't know, if you look at auto racing at the time, and the fact that they had access, I mean, they had access to Champ Car. Like, Champ yeah. Car let them follow them around the whole year, and most of the race footage is from legit races, and they even got to use the race likenesses like all the actual drivers were mm-hmm. named and there's some really good stuff like before that last race and they were behind the scenes watching all the racers get ready yeah i didn't know there was a little daycare on the side of the track that one driver that, his kids that was a really was really like, cool oh, scene yeah. yeah and that was probably his real kid who's like 20 something now and go why am i in this movie actually I, th- I think i remember reading the the kid that was brought over to the daycare i think that's actually rennie harlan's kid uh, brought oh. in just to kind of be in that role, but it do, it does show I me mean, like these drivers do put their lives on the line every race. Um, but I mean that being said, I wonder if it would have been a bigger hit worldwide if it was Formula One because let's be honest, of the three series, uh, three open wheel series like NASCAR, put that one aside. Uh, of the three different open wheel series at the time, it was Formula One at top, right? You had IndyCar and then you had kart racing, Champ Car. It was very much like the uh, I mean, regardless of the quality of drivers that were in the circuit at the time, it very much felt like the ugly stepchild of the three. Globally, it feels like way. And I think it's still the case now, even Mm -hmm. though you have F1 drivers that have gone on like Grosjean is now racing in IndyCar. Yeah. Right after. And that was one of the most dramatic scenes with Drives to Survive season three when his car blew up. Mm -hmm. He somehow climbed out. Takuma Sato as well. Spent time in Formula One before heading over to IndyCar. Like there's, it's no longer one of those things where it's like you're either one or the other. Like it is very much, you know, you could, if you could drive one, you can drive the other and that's cool. Um, But let's get to the breakdown of this. And we have to start with Stallone, the name of the top of the bill. Um, I am so glad. I mean, as, as, as many faults as there are in this film, I'm glad this film wasn't one of those, let's bring Stallone out of retirement so the team can win the championship. You know, like they brought him in to be literally like the the driver whisperer for Jimmy Bly. And we've seen how that role for him can work in a movie like Creed. We've also seen how that movie can, or that that role can not work for him, because I remember Rocky V, and it sucked so bad with Tommy Gunn. Um, <laughs> but for for you, like, was Stallone 
good in this or was he because i'll be honest like there it was over an hour before he actually got to mentoring well we can get into why um you mentioned at the very beginning as you know um how most of the characters are unlikable mm-hmm. uh, and that goes down to uh what's his face his brother kip's brother yeah in the movie who is a well-known guy in his own right from yeah dead poet society but we'll get to that but Sly himself was actually quite good. Now, he also wrote the screenplay, so he wrote the lines he knew he would deliver properly. Pretty much. Um, but um, I kind of liked him in the role there. Like, because, like you say, he wasn't there to be the guy coming back and being the champion again. Mm-hmm. He was there to be in the background and to block the other guys from passing his the, prodig- the prodigy and mm-hmm. all that stuff, like in that first race. So... I think the role here actually suits him. Um, now, again, Sly writing for himself. But yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I had no problem with Stallone in this movie. It was everyone around him that was not very likable slash believable slash just bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he seemed like the only character where people were actually happy to see him. <laughs> I mean, yeah. my, minus Gina Gershon, of course, because, of course, she's like the, you know, the ex of, of his character. But I mean, like, you do see like this whole you know supposed camaraderie among the drivers and you know you hear it a little bit you know we're gonna go back to formula one drive to survive you do see a lot of these drivers you know the, the minute one of them has an accident you hear them on the radio it's like tell you know tell me he's okay tell me he's okay kind of thing yeah and as much as they're fighting for a championship they're they are very much um you know they're all in the same boat I did notice too, like as far as like storyline goes, there's a lot of team tactics in this, which which very much stems from Formula One. I don't know if that stems so much as as Champ Car and IndyCar goes, but I mean, um, definitely he, Formula One. You see some of that. Oh, absolutely. The whole like you know, just sit in the pits, just sit in the pits kind of thing. You, you, and you know, you know, like he's not there to win. He's there to to figure out how to get Jimmy Bly, you know, to get out of his own way. Um, it's just, I I would love to have seen the four hour cut. Now, admittedly, no, how about no four hours of this? Oh, no, it might have been better. It, it definitely uh, would have been. I mean, it would have been more flushed out because there's a lot of storylines that really kind of got dropped along the wayside. His, I mean, Joe's he, he comes in. And it's you know an under two hour film because they're trying to get that 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 perfect cinema length and the fact that he doesn't really mentor until pretty much halfway through and even then the mentoring kind of feels half assed because he's still kind of in his own head because he's no longer driving like his motivations seem really really weird in this and it's just it's just not flushed out at least from what was on the screen in the theater. Well, they had the montage right about past the midway mark where he's actually getting access to Bly and to, and he's, uh, and they have all these little shots of him having fun in the paddock and mm-hmm. just going for jogging, going for a run or whatever. I wonder if in the initial edit, four hour edit, all those were like scenes of their own. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I, I have to laugh. This does have a Rocky four level of montages in this. Like it's, it starts with a montage and then there's a montage later on. There's a montage halfway through and then there's a training montage and it's like, oh dear God, where's the Vince DiCola soundtrack when you need it? It is. It's a Rocky four level of montage 
and they're trying to squeeze a whole lot into that. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Um, let's move on to Kip Pardue as play, uh, playing Jimmy Bly. Um, is it weird that I really don't care that Jimmy Bly wins the championship in this? Well, because maybe Leo would have been better at this. Um, it's debatable whether Leo was old enough to drive at that point. Um, <laughs> but the emotional depth of the acting from Kip Pardue was lacking. Mm-hmm. And the one that stands out to me, so we'll talk about Estella Warren's role in the movie, but she's basically the the girlfriend or the fiance of the reigning champion. And he kind of dumps her at the beginning because she's a quote unquote distraction. Mm-hmm. And then Jimmy Bly finds her at a club and they start talking. They never really advance past the talking stage and they're just friends. Mm-hmm. But if you look at, there's that scene at the gala where clearly um, the old Brandenburg gets her back. Yeah. And the look on Kip Pardue's face is like someone took, I'm five years old and someone took my ice cream and I'm going to cry. Oh man. You know what I mean? It, it, that's the, I mean, I wish there was more depth to his character rather than, you know, discount Lightning McQueen. He's the rookie who wants to basically win the championship and he's fighting, you know, the seasoned vet. In this case, it's Brandenburg and Cars, it's Chick Hicks, right? By it's, the way, a lot of correlations unintentionally between this and Cars. Oh, there's, there's so bound to many. Be. There's bound to be, except for the fact that, you know, in cars, they just turn left. Can you imagine Lady <laughs> McQueen on a... <laughs> right? At least they turn right in this film. Um, well, they have the figure eight in Cars 3. No, they still turn right. 
Yeah, but but I mean, like they they start the movie on a montage, a literal five minute montage. I timed it. And- <laughs> By the way, the graphics at the beginning of that, mm-hmm. uh, bad PowerPoint from ten years ago. Oh yeah, completely. there are there are a couple of instances where the this is again just came out in two thousand one. Uh, the graphics and the CGI are dated a little bit. But I mean, the, the graphics very much felt like that kind of PlayStation. We talked about this during Rollerball, right? Yeah. Where, where the TV graphics felt like they were PlayStation 1 cutscenes. But I mean, like, you and I were working in television in 2001, and yeah, in some cases, that's kind of what it looked like. Like, don't don't think for a second the graphics on television were always top notch. More often than not, they kind of sucked in hindsight. No, what happened was they used Apple Spheris in 2001 and they crashed every house. Oh. That's old headline <laughs> sports score. If you know, you know. If you know, you know, and you need to reboot it. Uh, tall, big tower, little tower, little tower, big tower. Um <laughs> They right, smashed the keyboard really hard. Oh no! Right now, there's about seven people laughing at this, and that's <laughs> about it. Now, let's move on to Till Schweiger, who played Bo Brandenburg. Um, here's the interesting thing, right? You've you've got the grizzled veteran kind of thing, who's you know probably for the first time in his career, like since getting to the top, not used to having to fight off a rookie. Uh, so he's trying to figure out what it is in his life that that's different that he needs to change and all that. That the first time. First stop being Estella Warren, like literally after the right after the montage, the first five minute montage. Then we have him dumping his girl, and it's like okay, but can I make a point about that? Yes, this is one thing I noticed about the bad plot points or whatever. So the very that very first scene where he essentially says you're a distraction and kind of dumps her, but doesn't say mm-hmm. it that way, and she leaves the ring on the desk there next to his helmet. Yeah, and then five or six stops later on the tour. And the helmet and the ring are still there. You mean you drove that truck to like Germany and the ring didn't fall on the ground? It's like where you left it? Come on. I mean, I'm I'm willing to admit that's probably like your flashback montage. You know, that that that's the moment in Rocky Four where Stallone's driving the car and you know we're listening to No Easy Way Out by Robert Tapper. Um, but you know <laughs> I I say these things as he's having a sip of water, so I'm surprised I haven't killed Simon yet in this one, but <clears throat> There there it is. I've killed him now. Um, But the interesting thing is, though, for someone who's supposed to be like the side character and the the hurdle for Jimmy Bly to get over, I actually found Brandenburg's character arc much more fascinating than Jimmy Bly's. Like the fact that he's, you have a veteran who's trying to figure out in his own head why he's not doing so well. uh, And it's only when he realized that he wasn't the problem all along. There's just someone that's come along that that is just that good um brandenburg was a very was a much more interesting character and he wasn't supposed to be the main character i just wonder how much of jimmy Bly's character arc was cut from that four hours because brandenburg feels like a complete job here they they definitely of all the guys outside of stallone's character it definitely felt like his was flushed out more Mm -hmm. then you have the scenes through the movie, which we'll talk about, which leads to the development of his character and jumping and getting out of the car and jumping into a lake to save mm-hmm. that whole scene was just off. I, I, I'm sorry. I, we'll get into that because like that. But um, you, you're, you're right. It definitely felt more flushed out than anyone else. Yeah. It felt to me like about halfway through. I'm like, well, why wasn't Joe brought in to to, you know, race whisper, you know, Brandenburg in this point? Because he's the one that's like. 
okay, so Jimmy Bly had a spin out in one race, and you're basically like, no, no, we're going to get rid of Memo here, and uh, and all of a sudden we're we're going to bring in Stallone, and no, he had one spin out. Like I doing a, a a reference here. I remember watching Takuma Sato, you know, when he was in Formula One, and the whole joke was we were making bets on which lap he was going to blow the damn car out. Like that's that's, uh, that's the. Um Oh God, I've lost track. There's the one guy that keeps crashing. That oh, I've gone like the Russian that got told that he can't be on the Gunter's team this year. Yeah, yeah, no, they, they didn't. They didn't think he could finish a race. Yeah, no, I mean Mazepin, exactly. But I mean, he has one spin out, and all of a sudden they're bringing in you know the the race whisperer to to, to get him to Brandenburg is the one that needs to get out of his own head, and it's funny because like Joe inadvertently kind of helps him get his life around and turns him into a much better driver and a much better person. Um, it's it's almost if we if we had the ability to rewrite this script, Joe should be brought in to help Brandenburg, not Jimmy Bly. Well, they're also at the very near the beginning they hint at some kind of history between the two mm-hmm. that like not so good history, like an accident that nearly killed one of them or something. Yeah, but you don't never you never see what that is. But that was fully a flashback that was cut out. But even in Japan, right before yeah. before uh, before they go to the gala kind of thing, um, he, he's talking to to Brandenburg. He's like, you know, why are we even talking? Like, because I'm the only one who who doesn't think you're an asshole. Like, <laughs> like there's there's a camaraderie there. Like, you know, as you know, as Gina Gershon's character calls it, the brotherhood of speed. And yeah, as much as they may dislike each other on the track, off the track, there's there still is a camaraderie because they are still all in this together and i just found that till schweiger really brought something more to brandenburg and made him a more interesting character than the supposed star of this film yeah i, I don't know there must be something in a cutting room floor because yeah you're right like his character developed more and there were clearly things from the past involving him and still own that Mm-hmm. Whenever they were kind of glanced upon, but never actually. That's the montage they cut out. Yeah, another montage. We would have gone from Rocky Four level montages to Dream a Little Dream montages, and it would have been uh, just way, way more. It's like Team Titans Go, where everything's a montage. Exactly. Or Gonna some- need a montage. Montage. Every day we watch that, and half the jokes are for the 40 year olds like us. Exactly. Right? But I mean, there's the thing like, you had Jimmy Bly multiple times going, I don't think I can do this. I can- Why not? You're, you are literally in, in the championship points lead. I don't think I can do this. Like, why is he so doubting himself? It's never explained why. He's second in points. Exactly. If you're second in points. You're not doing anything. They're not changing you. They're not pulling you. Like, what is this? Exactly. Jimmy Bly is whining and complaining. Um, and Brandenburg is the one who legitimately has to get out of his own head because he was the number one and now he's fighting to hold on to that. It's that whole, uh, you know, everyone's gunning for the champion. And so, and when you are on the top, you're always looking behind you like that. That's a much more interesting story. And uh, again, if Driven is ever rewritten, write it that way. Like, honestly, write it that way. I don't, no one cares about the rookie um, unless it's, you know, a heartfelt story. Kip Pardue doesn't have a heartfelt story in this, and that's not his fault. It's the story. I don't have a problem with the rookie storyline. You need a better actor to portray that rookie. I think that's what the issue is here. And you, but you also sorry, need a, Kip. You, you need a reason to like the rookie. Jimmy Bly in this case, you know, has done nothing. And like all of a sudden, it's like 
you know, you start to feel for him. Okay, he's the rookie. He's coming up. Uh, he's dealing with his brother who's kind of on his case kind of thing. There's, there might be some self-doubt in there. Next thing you know, he's trying to scoop his competitor's girl. And it's, it's like, I, I, I really didn't feel for this guy and no. that's that's not good when you feel when you feel more for the bad guy per se of which brandenburg was supposed to be but he's not um th- your story needs reworking um let's go to estella war oh. because you know because we kind of have to because we just finished talking about brandenburg and jimmy bly uh, apparently she was cast in this film once Rennie harlan saw her in sports illustrated um I feel I feel bad because 2001 with between this and you know Planet of the Apes with Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Um, well, yeah, but Mark Wahlberg's a good actor. Uh, he became a good actor. No, oh, Planet yeah. of the Apes was not a good remake. So this is where the movie turned for me. Mm-hmm. That scene in the Japanese swing pool and she's doing these random synchro acts. Of which movie. she is actually she trained in synchronized swimming. Oh, you can tell. Oh, yeah, and. And he's just sitting there on his computer, and she's trying to get his attention. And he's like, what are you doing? I'm a frog. Ribbit. Ribbit. I'm like, what is happening? Okay, apparently, that joke is like one of Stallone's favorite jokes of all time. So, he wrote it into the script for her to say. Oh, God. Yeah, exactly. Really? Yeah. According to IMDb, oh, that, that, that was in there because that's, that's Stallone's favorite joke for one no reason. sense. Like, and, and and that's where I was like, oh, what are you doing? Yeah. You're making her look like an idiot. I mean, there there is a bit of an arc for her. And the fact that she never actually, you know, for lack of a better term, gets with Jimmy Bly, at, at least doesn't put her at the level of side piece kind of thing. That was cut out of the movie, too. Uh, was it? That? I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised. I bet you as a whole, like... Hey, guys, we got to make this movie PG-13 now. Okay, cut that whole half hour. All right, good. Yeah, pretty much. Uh but that's the thing, like, at least if if she was romantically linked with Jimmy Bly, then it, it would have taken away from her reconnection with Brandenburg kind of thing. It's It just felt like um, the way it played out, it felt like she was like the bad luck charm. You know, Brandenburg is losing. She gets done by Brandenburg. She goes over to Jimmy Bly. Jimmy Bly starts losing. And it's like, oh. Yay, back to Brandenburg. And then Jimmy Bly wins while she's like, she literally is like the the the, the smelly rabbit foot at the end of the keychain for, for these drivers, it feels like. And it it's it's bad because like let's let's call this what it is. The women in this film are poorly written and poorly developed as characters, and that's not good. Oh, and I think okay, if you've been around, remember when we did the lab at the indie yeah. here? And, you know, what do you see when you go into IndyCar tracks? At back then, this is like 2006, 2007-ish. Like, you're seeing nothing but girls wearing skimpy outfits, the first thing you see. And it that's just how Champ Car was then. Yeah. And I mean, or IndyCar. I mean, and that's shown in the... In it's the- absolutely shown in the way this is written. Yeah. And I think if you would... There are many... I think if you were to do this again, I think you'd do it a lot better. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing. The women in this movie were just terribly written. Yeah. I mean, between Estella Warren, Gina Gershon, and Stacey Edwards. Um, like that, that whole thing with Stacey Edwards, who plays the reporter that hangs out with yeah. Stallone's character. L- but they never actually... They're randomly holding hands at one point. She's supposed to be a journalist following around. They never actually finish that arc or tie it up. Yeah. She's just sort of around and they're flirting with each other, but there's no real 
resolution at the end to just a round. Like, I, as I'm doing my notes, like, and, and again, this is nothing against Stacey Edwards. I think it's just basically the character that, that she was given. It's like, I'm like, okay, her character name is Lucretia Clan. I did not know until I was, you know, doing my notes after watching the movie that the character had a name. Well, That's, they had that one part where she was like, everyone calls me Luke. Yeah, no. Just like, just so poorly. And Gina Gershon, right? Who, who basically her character description is total utter bitch. Like, Gina Gershon is a phenomenal actress. She could have, they, they didn't give her much. No, like, like, they're like, okay, you, you have the dark hair in this. Like, you get to be the bitch. Like, what, <laughs> seriously? You know who else they wrote badly for? Um, Robert John Leonard, the brother. They just the scripting was so bad. It was rollerball bad, and oh, he's such a good actor. He is, and but you know this what? Is before though? House, so. I, I I will give Robert Sean Leonard this. Yeah, everyone in this film is working with a weak ass script. Yeah. I, let, let, let's let's put it right out on Front Street. It's not a good script. It's definitely not a good pare down either. Again, that four hour version, you might have a lot of character depth, but I I don't have the butt padding in order to be able to sit down and watch a four hour film. Like seriously, but Robert Sean Leonard at least brought a duality to his character, right? Like here's Jimmy Bly's brother, but he's also his manager. And as much as he wants to care for his brother, he's also really jealous of his brother because like apparently they both were drivers, but he was nowhere near as good as Jimmy Bly. Like you got the natural talent and then the brother who is, you know, in one hand helping manage and guide his career and the other hand literally riding the coattails on this one. Like the duality is there the sl- the sleaziness of his character and his motivations are there. Robert Sean Leonard made the best of a bad script and bad role. That's a credit to him and how good he is. You're right. Like Dead Poet Society, House, like he's a phenomenal actor. Well, the other thing too is, and this is maybe something else that got cut out of the four hour version, mm-hmm. was that, okay, so you saw him a lot the first half of the movie, then they have the inevitable falling out. Mm-hmm. And it becomes apparent he's working with Brandenburg, but they don't really flush that out. He's just not in the movie a whole lot. Mm-hmm. You don't see him with Brandenburg, and then you don't really see him again until the very end. He's kind of clapping and everyone's smiling. And well, yeah, there's, there's that scene where like Joe goes to the hotel room, and says, "I just want you to know that I know," and then walks <laughs> away, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. And and then of course Estella Warren, uh, her character calls up Jimmy Bly. We assume that's what she tells him because yeah. you know, and like. <laughs> There are parts where you sit there and say, okay, I get that there's the, again, goes back to the brotherhood on the track, right? To to her, Jimmy Bly was a friend who helped her in a rough situation, even though he may have wanted it to be romantic. It wasn't. Um, but the fact that she's with Brandenburg and she wanted to return the favor and help him kind of thing. Um, it's, there's a, there's a lot that's not, said in here that does actually work but it did need to be flushed out a bit more but i do understand that a four-hour movie in the theaters like if you said stallone four hours race car driving go uh, no it would make way less money but burt reynolds however you put him in that role in the chair in a chair uh like burt reynolds just brings a class to pretty much everything he does just not this uh, well, he did his best with what he had. Do we know? So, is he in the wheelchair as a tribute to uh, Frank Williams? I don't know. I don't, I don't know if anyone says that. But although that being think- that being said, you know, getting back to Estella Warren's character, apparently the writing of her character was based on real life. 
because she's apparently based on Karina but uh Karina Betch and again a Apologies if I ruined the name, uh, who eventually married Michael Schumacher, uh, but she was dating another driver on the circuit at the time. And then, yeah, so there is actually at least real life basis for Estella Warren's character. It's not just like, all right, uh, hot actress uh, side piece, go. There is actual basis for her character arc. So that does actually help a little bit. It's not just like, oh, yeah, just another woman tossed into the mix kind of thing this actually apparently happened and inspired that character. But with Burt Reynolds, it was never revealed like if he, you know, lost his ability to walk as part of a, um, a car accident or whatever the case. It's possible that, that it's based on that. I'm not quite sure because this movie isn't exactly subtle. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, because, I mean, there's a scene with, with Memo, right? The, the other driver for, for uh, Jimmy Bly's team there. Uh, and when he's not racing and, you know, uh, Joe's doing the one race and he's got to sit out. And he's sitting in his trailer and he's kind of sad he's not driving and all that. And they show the, you know, what's on the the little trailer kitchen table and there's a book of you know about Ayrton, uh, Ayrton Senna oh and then all of a sudden that's foreshadowing by that, the way that is straight foreshadowing like anyone who knows racing the moment that he was like getting back in the car I'm like it was so predictable he's getting mm. a big crash well, the minute you see you see that Ayrton Senna book, it's like, yep, you, yeah. you you just basically like signaled exactly what's going to happen. Like, don't it feels like a trailer that that shows you like the end before you actually get to the theater. Doctor Strange: The Multiverse of Madness. I didn't need to see Captain Carter in that. Come on, Ugh, that's a whole other thing. That is a whole other thing. But I mean, like Memo himself was just a fun guy. But it's just like that one scene where he was like so. For those who haven't sat through this movie, you're welcome. Most, uh, um, <laughs> we watch, so you don't have to. He's he's now married to Stallone's ex-wife, Gina Gershon. Yeah, and uh, there's this one scene where, like, when Stallone's driver Tanto shows up back at the track and, hey, listen, listen, we're still buddies. Uh, if you want, I'll give you the ring. I'll give you the ring. I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. I, I am divorced now because of you. Here, I marry you. I put this ring on you. It's like, okay, come on. Like, Memo is a great guy to watch, but, you know, you, you know it's not going to end well because, you know, the book. It's, uh, I, again, not very subtle film. Can we talk about, like, the crash scenes and how unrealistic they are? First off, you could tell which ones were, like, legit bumps, and, again, they shot the races. Mm-hmm. But... The, the 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 there was one crash and they did, they didn't name who I forget the name of the driver it wasn't anyone important he flips into the air doesn't flip into the air until after the car goes through the tire barrier that would never <laughs> it literally goes through the tires and then all of a sudden boop, up in the air like yeah. what that wouldn't happen would not happen there are so many crashes in this in this film where I'm, just, where I'm just like this is a red flag like like literally they're just gonna black flag this whole race they're gonna push it to the next day because you know a if a tire flies off and lands in the stands they're not going to continue the race for the rest of the day they're going to stop it and make sure that the people are safe if a car goes through the tire barrier and then flies off into some lake kind of thing they're going to stop the race like okay so the crash where memo essentially ends up in the hospital. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of problems with that. (laughs) One, you're not racing. Like, there's no way you would be racing close because, like, the scenes scenes where the car is, like, in the river 
and like he's underneath the like underwater and they're trying to get him out. Mm-hmm. One, you wouldn't have a race that close to a body of water that size. Like nope. it was like a creek, and, he, and 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 they it was almost like they shot it somewhere else. They went to a park down the street and shot this right, mm-hmm. like some creek. One, two, the drivers wouldn't get. I know this is for dramatic impact, but the drivers would not. First off, where'd they park their cars to run it? <laughs> you never see them actually get out of the car. They just like randomly are out of the car and running over. Yeah. You wouldn't drive the other way. You only do that in a video game, which I'll admit I have done in video games many times. And three, where's the safety crew? Right? They took forever to get there. It, if it's just off the track. <sighs> like if, if you watch enough auto racing, you are going to see some really, really horrible crashes. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm going back to the drive to survive. There's the one, the one driver that like went into the rail, like through the rail car explodes on fire. And he, actually walks out. He climbed but, out. Yeah. Jean, who's but, now racing in IndyCar. But that's 2021 fire retardant suits and the whole works. Like, there, there is at least three or four deaths that would have happened based on the way they CGI'd this, some of these crashes. It's just, it's, it's glorifying, which is really, really weird because, you know, it's not like kart racing didn't have their own problems with, with deaths on track. And apparently part of the deal with them being used in this film was that no one dies in this film. But yet the crashes they show would have killed at least five to seven people along the way. The the speed with which, like, I mean, obviously the car wouldn't end up in a river with a guy drowning. Mm -hmm. But, like, they they drew it out so long. I'm like, oh, God, the car's blowing up, like, a minute after it's in there. Like, you guys are, like, yeah. I mean, I I get they're going to Hollywood the crap out of it kind of thing, and I do understand that. But it's, yeah, there's just so much that would have been, like, you know, the race is delayed till the next day. Also, in the last race, they have that CGI crash where the tire flies into the stands. Oh, God, that was horrible. Something else that would never happen, but it actually has happened. I think in NASCAR it happened. Mm -hmm. But in the years since, they've improved safety fencing around the track and everything. Uh, The one actually was an F1 uh, crash recently. that Oh, with uh, with, uh, Guangzhou. Yeah. Yeah. That, That he... If not for the way the walls are set up, he could have ended up in the crowd. Yeah, exactly. But they have ten layers of safety before you get to that point now. Mm-hmm. But like, if I'm an if I'm a racing car fan and I'm seeing this, I'm like, I'm not going to a race. I'm gonna get hit in the face with a car with a tire. Yeah, I do remember that happening. Like way back, like like in our in our careers, this happening. Oh yeah, like, like you you see cars getting flipped and tossed around in real life and all that, and you can see what they were trying to show. But I mean, they they, they just Hollywooded it too much. It's it's almost like, um, oh god, who's the director of um, Independence Day? You know who I'm you're oh, talking about? Yeah, gum blank. Yeah, exactly. Like like they're, they're gonna go with that level disaster movie with some of these crashes. But the thing is, you have some really exciting viz of the cars actually racing. Like auto racing, especially open wheel racing, is exciting as hell to begin with. You don't need to make it look like a bad PlayStation intro movie um, in order to get people hyped. Like just the low camera angles and all that. Like some some of the cinematography in this is phenomenal. Didn't use it enough. Yeah. Like show me the real stuff. Actually the best stuff, like if you want to take out the stuff they shot from the actual races, I thought the best stuff that they shot was that car chase. 
mm-hmm. at the gala, which was all in Toronto. Yeah. Um, and for those wondering, so obviously they used the real indie track. Yeah. And uh, the club, the, the anything around that club, you know, the gala when they're chasing each other um, was um, University Avenue. Yeah. Outside the Sheridan and Queen, Queen and University. Um, the one part when, but also... Champ Car is fined the $25,000 for getting up, racing out of the gala with no helmets on and nearly killing people on right. University Avenue. $25,000. I mean, I remember. The NHL Player Safety Department clearly was responsible for this. I remember actually like walking around downtown and I had to be redirected to a different street because I was actually walking by where they were shooting that that chase scene at the time. So it's like, you can't walk down the street. Uh, the feminist alone film. I'm like, oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. I, I do recall them closing because they did, I think they did a lot of that stuff on University Avenue. Yeah. I mean, it's not unusual for streets to be closed in Toronto for a um, movie, but University Avenue, for those that don't know Toronto, is one of the big north-south streets in the city. Mm-hmm. And it's also in Hospital Row. That's where all the hospitals are. So the fact they were able to get that spot closed is newsworthy, and I don't ever remember that happening at all. But I do remember that they were shooting the shooting the movie, and they closed the roads. Yeah, I mean the other thing too, and and this is you know you know definitely part of the the probably the editing process. But I mean when you start a film with a five minute montage of like the the champ car season to that point, like if you're a racing fan. You're like, okay, Long Beach and this yeah. race and that race. And then you get to Toronto. It's all good kind of thing. Like you're following along. But if you don't know and don't watch, you know, like, you know, open wheel racing. Like, let's be honest. Probably the biggest racing film up to that point was Days of Thunder with Tom Cruise. But that's that's NASCAR, NASCAR right? Yeah. It's a very different beast. And I just wonder if... um if this needed to be Formula One, it probably would have been bigger as far as a worldwide gross goes, definitely. Um, it makes sense that F1 wouldn't give them the access they needed to do it properly. Mm-hmm. Again, I'd be interested to see how willing they'd be up for doing it now. Very, very interesting. I mean, like, obviously you would have to definitely rewrite the script and reflush it out. But I, I think there's enough in there that you could do a driven reboot and actually make it good. Oh, yeah. I mean, the cinematography and the CGI would be a world better than it was, you know, 21 years ago, of which this movie is 21 years old. That just shows you. And the cinematography for the racing scenes, especially with the actual indie cars, was really good. Yeah. And it was wasted. They could have used much more of that. I mean, like even the thing with the with the coins on the track. This is a real thing. Yeah, I didn't mind that. I actually kind of like that part. Exactly. But then again, it was also filmed very realistically. Like the the parts where you see like the 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 blurred thing of the track kind of thing from like the the point of view shot. That's okay. I don't mind that. that didn't bug me. Yeah, that didn't bug me at all. But it's when they go like the full on CGI cars flying, tires flying, the whole works kind of thing. Like I have played PlayStation Two games with better graphics than this. It's it's that looks more realistic. And oh, the fact I think if you did this movie now, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between the CGI and the actual racing. And that's just the advancement in technology, unfortunately. And I mean, you know, also. What was interesting was watching the indie track in Toronto 
as it was then. Yeah. Pre Coca Cola Coliseum, pre BMO Field. Yeah. I mean, the the skyline's still the same. Still got the CN Tower back yep. there. Um, and that's the the interesting thing too is that we are so used. To, you know, you know, we are so used to Toronto being substituted for other cities. So to see Toronto being called Toronto and treated like Toronto. Um, is kind of refreshing in a way, like yeah, yeah. you know. But I mean, obviously, the 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 chase in the middle of downtown was supposed to be in Tokyo. It wasn't. Um, but was I mean, University Avenue. Oh yeah, in Toronto. I mean, the list of movies that are filmed that's filmed in Toronto is insane. Like, just watch the first Suicide Squad film, right? Like that entire Joker Batman chase scene kind of thing. Like that's straight up and down Young Street, the same street that they filmed. The Incredible Hulk fight scene on, which is just like, you know. Inside the HMV. Uh, exactly. My wife my and girlfriend and I walked by there. We were downtown and we saw it all court enough. Young and Dundas. Yeah. It was cool. I mean, it, it's very cool to see. And uh, there, this could have been so much more. It could have. Um, but I, I will give it credit. It's the most 2001 soundtrack that ever 2001 soundtracked because there were multiple times I'm sitting there bopping my head going, oh yeah, I forgot this song wasn't around then. It's a it's a great, great soundtrack. Um, it's actually one of the stars of the movie at this point, you know, but, but that's when soundtracks were also designed to help elevate the film. You know, you think about some of the soundtracks around then, like Daredevil was a great soundtrack. Punisher had a decent soundtrack. This one had a very good, even Rollerball had a, had a Roll decent Ball soundtrack. Had, what was it? Lincoln Park? No. Uh, Slipknot. Yeah. And, yeah. Slipknot. Yeah. There, there were, there were others, but I mean, like, you know, it's a 2001 sports movie starring Stallone. It is exactly almost what you expect of it. Um, just could have been better. St- Characters and story could have been better flushed out, and unfortunately, it is a bit of a, um, you know, it's it's a cast of unlikable characters. That's the that's the worst part of it. Like even in Rollerball, we found characters where it was, you know, you could at least feel for them. Like even in the Love Guru, there were characters where you could sit there and say, okay, I kind of like this. Rollerball had boings, boing. right? Boing, boing. Oh God, chase scenes. Ah. Uh, I'm never going to live roll the ball down, am I? <laughs> I? But at least the sound design was decent in this. Because you you did. You heard. Picks out the sound design. I love it. Um, yeah. You know, the actual racing footage was good. Yes. Didn't use it enough. Didn't parlay it into good scenes. It may have been an access thing. Who knows? Yeah. I mean. I think you, I think you could do this movie much better with access. And I think if you were to do it, I know everyone's talking F1, but if you did it with IndyCar now, I think they'd be willing because mm-hmm. F1 has jumped right by them again in popularity because of Netflix, because of last year's finish. Yeah. Hamilton for Stappen, right? Like, so, you know, I think if you were to do it, you could do it with IndyCar. It'd be cheaper to do because they don't have the exotic locations they used to. Like, I'm sure mid-Ohio would be okay for shooting a few scenes. Right. I It's just... It is. It you could flush this out more because in, I mean I have often said and you you and I have had this discussion before, you know, off podcast. The open wheel racing is so much better than NASCAR. Like, you know, my favorite character in Cars Two was Francesco Bernoulli. So I mean, like, it's I I could easily easily get behind an open wheel racing film, uh, and I could see the argument for at least reworking this script and making it 
makes sense. Maybe narrow down the script a little bit. But I mean, you know, Drive to Survive proves that people will watch open wheel racing. Um, but I wonder too, just in hindsight here, I wonder if people would watch uh, like a driven reboot, no matter how good it is. People are like, yeah, but I'd rather watch Drive to Survive. It's more realistic. Maybe. I think, I, I mean, isn't that the thing with everybody? Like every sort of medium now, the non-scripted, quote unquote, non-scripted shows are getting the viewers because of that. It's more realistic, quote unquote, more realistic. Although there are many times when you watch Drive to Survive where you realize they're in a different stratosphere financially than you. Mm-hmm. Like the scene of the beginning of season four where Horner and Jerry are riding horses yeah. in this big paddock somewhere. And I'm like... Yeah, you guys are rich. Yeah, and there are some things in Drive to Survive where you sit there and go, I can't believe that's real, but it actually is. I mean, there there are enough storylines from IndyCar and Formula One that could be cribbed and rewritten in a way that could make a decent driven reboot. Uh, it would be curious to see. But it comes to that time, dude. You got to lay it on the line. Who is your MVP of 2001's Driven? Ooh. Ribbit, 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 no. <laughs> um, You know what? I'll go with Stallone's acting. Forget about how bad the screenplay was and how bad the movie was put together. The acting and the cinematography on the racing. That's- okay. I, I, I will admit the cinematography was on my list of potential MVPs. Um. And I did consider Till Schweiger because I, I thought that Brandenburg, you know, his character arc flushed out quite well. But I'm going with Robert Sean Leonard because here's, you know, basically, for lack of a better term, you're only really clear villain in this film, but he's a villain with a duality. You can understand why Jimmy Bly's brother is the way he is, even without the backstory. You didn't need too much of it. You had it all in that like there, there's that scene where they're where they're in the the trailer kind of thing after the race where he skids out kind of thing where you know he's laying into him and then he turns around and then you know reveal you know the a first of all you find out that's that's when they're actually brothers yeah um so so surprise there but but the the, the whole turnaround it's like you know i watched this kid you know and he could do no wrong and, and it's like you're complimenting him but it's through some really, really jealous feelings. Like there's, you know, and you really do question whose interests he has, his own or his brother's at heart, and are the two mutually exclusive or do they have to be? Like Robert Sean Leonard brought way more to that role than it probably deserved, and that's that's a hat tip to him. Um, Dude, I apologize profusely for making you watch this film. By the um, way, by the way, there was two things. First off, the final race at the end, I was waiting for someone to stick their tongue out at the end, like in cars, and get the photo finish. <laughs> I don't know if that would have worked uh, like Lightning McQueen. And that scene at the beginning where Bly's getting like all these girls are going up and kissing him. Mm-hmm. Like, ah, COVID. Oh my God. Oh yeah. Oh, away from me. That's They're a- allowing this. Oh wait, 2001. 2001. Yeah. We did not, we didn't even have uh, the, the SARS at that point. That's pre SARS. That's pre SARS. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're used to, uh, 
we're yeah we're, we're used to this now pre blackout pre uh, many things that pretty pretty much uh, Simon where can people hear your voice when you're not on this podcast uh, you can hear me in City News 680 I'm Morning Sports uh, as I record this I'm wrapping up what seems like a very long vacation because I had COVID at the beginning of it so uh, the staycation the forced staycation it feels like I've been off forever but uh, yeah uh, mornings at City News 680. As I talk right now, I'm back on Monday. As you probably listen to this, I'm already back on. Um, looking forward, hopefully, to another Marley season. Shout out Rich Clune, who announced his retirement yesterday. Um, I'm going off track again. <laughs> Hit me up on social, Sports Voice Guy on Twitter, Instagram, and once in a blue moon, TikTok. Oh, God. Not the TikTok. I've done it. I haven't done much. <laughs> Uh, the only thing TikTok for me is the ticking of the clock as we listen to this. So to, thank you, Simon. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on to the show. To our listeners, thank you for listening to this episode of It's Not That Bad. Now, you guys know the drill. If you think there is a movie that is unfairly maligned or on the opposite side is so bad that there's no way in hell that we can find anything good to say about it, hit me up on Twitter at NotThatBadCast and we will watch it. We will dissect it and we will find the good things to say because we are looking for those A grades in B movies. Until next time, I'm Jay. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.